Ahlan wa sahlan, dear listener. I'm Michael Rakowitz, artist and director of Radio Silence, a broadcast about Iraq and its displacements presented by Mural Arts Philadelphia with major support from the Pew Center for Arts and Heritage and additional support from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Hummingbird Foundation. Project collaborators and partners include the Prometheus Radio Project and a host of agencies and nonprofits that work on refugee and veteran issues as well as independent community-driven media nonprofits. Radio Silence was conceived as a site-specific project for Philadelphia's vibrant Iraqi community. In 2007, Mahjat Wahid, dubbed the Walter Cronkite of Iraq, and his wife, Haifa Abdelkader, also a broadcaster, received an envelope at their house in Baghdad. Inside was a piece of paper marked with two X's and a bullet, a warning from insurgents that they were being targeted. From Baghdad, they fled immediately to Amman, Jordan, known as the ancient city of Philadelphia. And from Amman, they came in 2009 to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. From Philadelphia to Philadelphia. From ancient to modern. From then to now. Time travel. Bahajat first joined Radio Baghdad in 1959. He would later move to television. All in all, he narrated over three decades of Iraq's history and then went on to host a program on television delving into the nuances of Arabic language, both spoken and written. He trained several generations of broadcasters on Iraqi radio and television, and his influence has been transmitted throughout the Arab world. The idea for Radio Silence was to return Bahajat to the airwaves as a host. He and Haifa both performed that role beautifully, yet they have moved from behind the news desk into the living room, where all our meetings have been accompanied by love, warmth, and delicious home-cooked Iraqi food. Their hospitality reminds me of my late grandparents, also Iraqis, who left Baghdad in 1946. Bahajat and Haifa's stories have excavated memories of my own from 1991. I was 17. In the aftermath of the first Gulf War, my brothers and I huddled around our newly acquired shortwave radio, scanning frequencies of the place our grandparents fled from. Was it all destroyed by the place they fled to? Was there a pulse? Was there anybody alive out there? Suddenly... Something. A bird chirping. The song of the bulbul. The signature call sign of Radio Baghdad. The Hajjabadad, the broadcasting service of the Iraqi Republic. Listening back to this fragment, I wonder if I heard Bajat's stories putting me to sleep at night. He must have been behind the microphone on some of those occasions. I used to leave the radio on, inviting the spectral presence of Iraq through broadcast to enter my body as a vessel. Now let's listen to Bajat's caramel voice, the voice of Iraq, recorded in his living room in January 2016, reanimating his old self, and the many pieces of a disintegrated country. So, Bahjad, can you introduce yourself the way that you used to in Baghdad? 
there are uh, many news in Baghdad TV or Baghdad Broadcasting. Two o'clock, six o'clock, eight o'clock, ten, twelve, five news. Every announcer begin when the the watch one, two, three, four, five, six. Finish six. I said. الساعة في بغداد السادسة مساء أيها المستمعون الكرام السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إلى حضراتكم نشرة الأخبار الثالثة لهذا اليوم يقرأها عليكم بهجة عبد الواحد For Radio Silence, the local Iraqi refugee community and warrior writers, a community of military veterans, service members, artists, allies, and healers dedicated to creativity and wellness, would support Bajat as field reporters, producing content ranging from poetry to the surreal flashbacks that veterans experience where Baghdad and Philadelphia merge. Bajat would resurrect vintage weather reports, featuring better times with better weather, as wishes for the present and the future. What I didn't expect was that the radio program would become a portrait of Iraq in miniature. After our first recording session, a fragment of which you just heard, Bajat fell ill with a serious respiratory ailment that necessitated an emergency tracheostomy. The voice of Iraq lost its voice. On August 25, 2016, Bajat al-Wahed passed away. Our host has become a ghost, another casualty of the war. At his funeral in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, Bajat's friends spoke about how our project was even more important now. The show must go on, they insisted, to illustrate just how much of the country was slipping away, to resist cultural amnesia, to hold on to the best of what Iraq was and what their new lives as Americans would be. Each episode of Radio Silence will feature a snippet from our one and only recording session with Bajat, along with archival recordings he made in Iraq. Our themes each week will loosely delve into the different synonyms of silence. Our episode this week brings us from the space of Iraqi hospitality to the hospital, where Bajat lay, mouthing words he wished he could will into existence. Speechlessness. The day after one of many visits at Bajat's bedside, 
I met with warrior writers in Philadelphia to discuss the subject of silence and that which is unspeakable or untold. Michelangelo Calora, who was supposed to deploy to Iraq but didn't for medical reasons, began speaking about how people try to put words to an experience that they don't understand. Uh, I was just, I mean, in a general kind of broad, big picture way, I think uh, talking to a lot of people, well, for me, because I was supposed to go and for medical reasons, I was kicked off of that deployment and then I was not able to go the next time because I was getting out. Um, so uh, talking to my buddies who came back when I was supposed to go the first time to Iraq, uh, it was the way that they were trying to describe or justify in their mind why they went because it was still pretty early so there wasn't as much of a narrative that had been built up in the media or uh, by people who look at it kind of almost historically now. This was like 2005 I think or 2004. Um, so it was seeing people trying to put words to that experience of something that really was uh, morally, you know, and ethnically complicated for a person who studies it for a living. And uh, these are, you know, 19-year-old guys and girls from small towns across America who graduated high school, and that was about it. And they're trying to wrap their mind around these incredibly complex moral issues surrounding this, you know, devastatingly uh, horrific thing that's left such a mark on the world. And I think that that's interesting because they weren't speechless, but they were using words that to me never made any sense, like trying to, to describe why or, you know, what they accomplished. And... Um, I always thought that was interesting. So it's not exactly speechlessness, but it's people trying to frame something that they simply don't have the capacity to frame. Suddenly, Jin McGill Prather, a medic stationed at Camp Buka, stood up and threw a folder on the table. Several documents and photographs spilled out. The recording is not clear. However, this moment is meaningful to listen to. It is the very first time Jin utters her witness to a prison riot in which four Iraqi detainees were killed by American soldiers. Um, this is something that I've never talked about. I just kind of carry things with me. Uh, so, what I just put on the paper, uh, four died prison riot. I was a medic. I helped our side and the other side. Uh, this is the investigation and the names of people that died. And this is a picture of me posing with the guy that killed all of them. Um, and smiling. Cool. So, 
I know that's hard, but uh, thank you for sharing. The next day, Jin invited me to record her story, yet in the context of a project proposal she hopes to one day complete. Uh, my name is Jen McGill-Prather. I am newly 36, <laughs> and I was um, a combat medic and preventive medicine specialist because we didn't have enough people. I served in Iraq in 2004-2005 in southern Iraq um, at a place called Camp Buka. I don't have my facts written down in front of me, um, so this is a disabled veteran's memory talking, which is sometimes not the best. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, uh, where I was at Camp Buka, um, we had at times uh, 6,000 Iraqi detainees. We did have some riots that occurred um, and there were casualties. One instance was, I believe, January of 2005, and there were several men that were, that were killed by U.S. forces that day. I have the paperwork from that day, their names, the year of their birth, and their detainee number. It is, it is for them, but I guess it's peace for myself. You know, it is a selfish thing at the same time. So I don't want to, like, say that it's uh, just for someone else. Um, but we, we gave them no funeral, you know. We, we just bagged them and tagged them, as Americans do, and we sent their bodies uh, for, to another place for them to to be, you know, to have an autopsy done. Um, I don't know what happened to them after that, you know, if, if they ever made it back to their families or, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I don't even know how I would find that information out. Um, but I feel that they should not have died I feel that they they were owed more respect than than they were given, and I'd like to try to give them some sort of a final respect, um, you know, so that whenever I think of their names, there's no evil, at least there there's peace. Those names are always with me um, whenever I'm working on important things, so. I, I just hope to give them, uh, give them some rest and uh, give myself some rest at the same time, I guess. Um, I don't know how, how I'm going to go about doing that yet. Um, there's a lot of information that I'm going to have to learn as far as um, how to show respect for, for them and, and their culture and everything. But, um, you know, God willing, it'll happen. Inshallah. <laughs> Inshallah. We go now from the American medic to the Iraqi doctor I met at Bajat's memorial service just a few hours after his burial. The doctor introduced me to his two sons. One of them was in a wheelchair permanently. The other was tall and his injuries were not visible to me. The doctor, 
who wishes to remain anonymous, explained that they were from Ramadi. It was 2005. There was an explosion. Both sons were hurt. Badly. He thought one of them was dead. He put both bodies in his car and sped off in the direction of the hospital outside of town. Because of the attack, the United States Army closed the perimeter around the city. No one was permitted to enter or leave. The doctor had to make do under the circumstances. He saved both his sons. I do not know when the doctor arrived in Philadelphia with his family. I do know that in August of 2016, he was interested in being recorded for Radio Silence to tell this story and others. But in December of that year, he stepped away. He said there was no language for him to speak directly or angrily enough about the atrocities he witnessed. We mark this space of silence for this Iraqi doctor and his family who wants you to know that the war interrupted and destroyed the dreams, the hopes, and the lives of the Iraqi people. And now here's the daily forecast. Hot. On the Tigris, the weather is gusty, air is foggy, water muddied by dead bodies. No carp from a mosque. Come home. In the date orchards, the palms continue to imitate weeping willows, their trunks going flaccid and crowns falling off. Up north, forget it. And finally, to the east, it's not much better. That's your weather in Iraq. In February 2017, Julie Zavidge, a former captain in the United States Army who was based in Iraq, read from an anthology of poems published by warrior writers. The piece was titled Sorry for Not Being Sorry and was written by Sergeant Alexander Fanot of the United States Marine Corps, who served in Afghanistan. Now, you're going to hear a reference to Aphis Pogs, APHIS stands for Army Air Force Exchange Services, which is kind of like the Walmart for the military. The POGs are a token produced by the U.S. military that acts as currency on military bases, since it is illegal for them to print legal tender. Uh, So it's titled, Sorry for Not Being Sorry. Dear Crab Boy and Street Children Gang of the Camp Eggers Checkpoint, Kabul, Afghanistan, I applaud you and your friends' industrious attempts to trade AFI's POGs for U.S. dollars, but I was angry when you and your group mobbed me. I was only trying to make my way towards my armored vehicle. En route, one of your members pursued me. When I tried to open my door and get inside, he stood in my way, prevented me from closing my door, and then shouted, It's my country! It's my country! At that moment, he was not a child. He was the enemy, keeping me in the open and thus causing me great anxiety, which welled up like steam in a tea kettle. To remove the threat of that tiny little enemy, I kicked your friend square in the chest, and for that, I am not sorry. However, I am sorry that I cannot feel sorry. I hope you will never have to be who I was and hurt those desperate for survival and love. 
My main regret in all this is the circumstance in which I found myself. I was a man carrying a gun in your war-torn country that lost sight of mercy. I was worried about one of your countrymen pointing a gun at me or readying a bomb rigged to explode at my feet. In my eyes, and to this day, all I see are potential threats. That day, instead of offering goodwill and humanity to a child begging for candy or a pog trade, all I could give was the sole of my boot. I kicked your little friend in his chest. My seven-pound foot crushed his little ribs into his rapidly beating and innocent heart. Over the last year, I spent a lot of time reflecting at my little desk about our engagement. When I think about regret for the things I have done, I am often taken back to the exchange between your friends and I. I was, angry, I was an angry young man with a gun strapped to my hip. The weight of it was like a hot burning coal, stuck deep in my pocket, buried under debris, which made it hard to remove. It burned me. In turn, I burned you. I guess it was a subconscious effort to take the heat off me by projecting it out and away from myself. I hope you can forgive me, not just for my sake, but for your own. Carrying hatred from your past will only destroy you and those you love. Trust me, I know. In this life, we carry what we carry is what we give. Semper Fidelis in Godspeed, Alex. Sorry for Not Being Sorry inspired an Iraq War veteran at the table named Toby to write his own letter. What was written recalled an event rarely spoken by the veteran. I'll try to um, stay calm reading it. Um, I watched you for some time, to be sure, crimson spreading around you, until they came and got you. In Najaf, I guess any old vehicle will do. But you have, did you have ambulances before we came and brought all this rubble? I know, you'd, I know you didn't mind, you were dead already. <clears throat> you ran so fast and it was hard to set my lead on you. But I was always more than proficient with the 240. I bet you were wondering why, that is, if the spirit goes somewhere where wondering is a possibility. I killed you because you killed him. Now maybe it wasn't you precisely. Maybe you never held a weapon. Maybe you shouted praise in the streets when, <clears throat> when we, when we, Ameri- Ameri- eh, sorry, when we Amriki came to town. But you had the nerve to sit and drink your tea with friends while mine was in the ground. True story. We haven't done a lot of writing about that, so no, kind of needed yeah, to come out. Yeah, that's a hard memory. It's hard to think about and like hard to associate with myself. And in terms of yeah, at the time, in terms of a life for life, um, I I didn't have I didn't have to have any admission of guilt, I didn't have to know that that was a bad person, I just had this hate, you know? I had this loss and this hate, and I had somebody that wasn't just very crudely acted as an outlet for that raw, immediate hate and, and loss, and I, took, I made the decision that that was all that they would, you know, amount to, you know? In their in their life, in terms of my, you know, my story, 
their life amounted to an act of aggression, an act of like hurt and hate, you know. And that was the worth of their life. Yeah. And for the, the entirety of my life, because now that's what, that's who I am, you know. You stumbled on the word Amriki. Em- Amriki. <laughs> Um, Just because I always hear the kids saying that. Mm-hmm. I'm Ricky. I'm Ricky. Yeah. You know, it brings to mind and it chokes me up. Yeah. Um, and just thinking about, like, how devastated some of their lives became because we were there. and They're just kids, you know? And then one day they're, like, throwing rocks at you, and the next day, like, you're killing them, you know? Yeah. After Toby spoke, we sat around the table, speechless for several moments. What can one really say? I was reminded of an earlier Warrior Writers workshop when we were discussing speechlessness in relation to silence. That day, when I told the group about Bajat's condition, Tony Topps, who was stationed in Saudi Arabia during the Iraq War, wrote a poem for him. So I'm Tony Topps, um, Warrior Writers. I take a deep breath, inhale, exhale, gasping of air, gurgling sounds, long, slow, short and fast breath. Breathe, slow down, my brain says. Take your time, my heart begs. My lips perch because I have something, one more thing to say. Perch lips, dry mouth, and nothing. Tony and Chantal Bateman, also with Warrior Writers, passionately expressed their devotion to the project, wishing to push through and to make the radio program happen as a tribute to Bajat and all the other Iraqis who have been silenced. If he can't speak, we will make sure we do, they said. And so our host lives on within all of us. I am Bajat Abdul Wahid. 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 As Bajat slipped away, Tony's poem grew. Here now is the recording of her poem, performed live in the context of Radio Silence's launch event on Philadelphia's Independence Mall on July 30th, 2017. I am Bajat. I am the voice of the voiceless, empowering people to write and fight, using my voice to tell truth of war and lies. And even in death, I will broadcast. My silence will not fall on deaf ears, dry mouth and parched lips will still whisper messages carried on the back of strong sandstorm winds under radiant desert sun along the fertile crescent land. Fumbling through static radio waves and peeking through window drapes from Baghdad to the concrete jungle of Philadelphia, I am the voice of the voiceless. So take a deep breath, inhale, exhale, gasp for air if you must. Yes, gurgling sounds stirring up in your throat. Be calm, take long and slow breaths. Remember, silence isn't quiet and neither am I. 
even in death. The voice of Baghdad is not on life support. It is not the end of transmission. It is only the beginning. You are my voice. You are my message. Continue. Spread love and peace, hope and forgiveness, family and joy. The true message of building and rebuilding, bridging the gap from generations lost from spoils of war on both sides of two rivers. I am the voice of the voiceless. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Radio Silence is curated by Elizabeth Thomas. Special thanks to our project manager, Abigail Satinsky, to our sound engineer, Nate Sandberg, to Warrior Writers and their director, Lovella Kalika, to all our Iraqi participants and the resettlement agencies that connected us to them, and to Jane Golden and everyone at Mural Arts. Our deepest gratitude and love to Bajat Abdul-Wahed and his wife, Haifa Abdul-Kader. Original music for Radio Silence is composed by Hannah Khoury and performed with the Radio Silence Ensemble. Join us next week when we talk about the mute, those things that can't be heard, and sounds that have been muffled or forgotten. Until then, good night, dear listener. For Radio Silence, I'm Michael Rakowitz, and this was Iraq. <laughs>